Hey everyone, it's Brooke Burke. Thanks for joining me again. You're listening to the Naked Mom Pod. Just want to say thank you for reaching out to us and, and please check us out on all social media handles at, at Naked Mom Pod. Also loving the feedback, loving the questions, the reviews, totally appreciate it. So keep them coming. You can email us and I promise we're going to try to get back to all of you. We're doing the best we can. You can email us at show at nakedmompodcast.com. So I'm back in the studio in Hollywood today. I hope you guys are enjoying your summer. For me, it's going by way too fast. And I'm just going to keep that speed going and get right into our interview because I have so many questions and some great feedback from you guys and also some questions that came in through modernmom.com. I've got a doctor in the house today, and he really needs no intro. He's a board-certified addiction medicine specialist. He's also a practicing physician. You got to know him. It's Dr. Drew. You, you, you might have seen or listened to the long-running Loveline radio show and many other TV series, including Celebrity Rehab. In fact, I'm going to go back like, I don't know, maybe even 20 years. I think I did Loveline. <laughs> I doubt he's going to remember, so I'm not even going to bring it up. But I did Loveline way back in the day with um, Dr. Drew and, and Adam Carolla. So much fun. Uh, he currently has a daily radio show called Midday Live on KABC here in Los Angeles, as well as the Dr. Drew podcast full of so much great medical information and also the Adam and Drew podcast and this is life podcast. I'm I'm tired just saying all this stuff. This guy has has has, has so many credentials. We're really really lucky to have him, and we're going to talk about um, drugs. We're going to talk about talking to your children about drugs. We're going to talk about sex and how to approach that very delicate dialogue with your children, teenagers, and how to deal with. Um, some really embarrassing moments that can go wrong. So I'm I'm selfishly going to keep him here for as long as we possibly can. All right, get ready, everybody. Okay, so before we get to our interview, first I just want to say thank you so much to Sun Basket for supporting The Naked Mom. So if you want to eat leaner and you want to eat cleaner, you can start doing it today with Sun Basket. All you have to do is go to sunbasket.com slash naked. This is our gift to you. Today you can get 50% off of your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash naked, 50% off. I really, really like this program. So check it out, you guys. Thanks, Sun Basket. I'm so happy to have you, Dr. Drew. Thank you for joining me. I it's know my you're privilege. so, so busy. Not, listen, I, I'm not that busy, but when I was a real workaholic, a full, I mean, like a, like a diagnosable. Okay, my producer and I are both like looking at each other right now because before you got here, I was like, five podcasts, you're still practicing. Like, is this guy a complete workaholic? I, I am, I, but, but I'm, I am still like, like any recovering addict, I'm still a workaholic. But when it was bad, it was really bad. Like I would get up at five in the morning and I would be underwater the whole day, struggle to get home by 10 at night. My weekend, a day off, I'd work eight hours on my day off. I would do nursing home and stuff. So and that that all And you're sort of still down. going strong though. That'll I mean down. now now I at least I really I don't have dread anymore. I really like what I'm doing. I feel I feel kind of balanced, I gotta tell you. Really? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's weird. You and, make and, me feel better about myself because I was telling the story to my producer that there was a time in my life where I was doing a ton of stuff, not as much as you. I think I had three shows and I was working like crazy. My therapist was like, you know that this is a pretty chaotic space. And I was like, yeah. Huh? Like, what do you mean? This is like perfectly normal. Like, I'm, I'm flying really good at this speed. What the heck are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I, I know. I Which know. is what you were just saying well, to me. Well, <laughs> I know that. You know, I was in therapy for many, many years too, and it was a really important experience for me, both in terms of my personal stuff and being effective for other people. 
Uh, and yes, indeed, I heard things like that too. Like, like, huh? She would go like, she would say things more like, uh, I have no idea what's going on with you because I'm not seeing you yeah. or I'm not seeing you enough. And when you're here, you're like spinning like a top. So I used to feel like that. I used to think yeah. it's too stressful to schedule therapy because going to therapy is going to stress me out. Yeah. I need to, I, need, I know I need to go to therapy, yeah. but that's stre- I don't have time to go to therapy. Mm. That's when we really get screwed up. Yeah. They always <laughs> you, say if you don't have time to get your hair cut, that's how you know it's not good. <laughs> exactly. And if I'm, you haven't noticed that your hair needs to be cut. I know. Well, you spend so much time taking care of everybody. Do you make time to take care of yourself if this is, a, in fact, a slower pace for you right I now? I do to the extent I work out regularly and I eat right and I do that kind of thing. I'm, since Love Line stopped, I'm sleeping. That's been a gigantic improvement in my life. And so so I'm full. I'm busy. But I'm I don't feel out of control or anything. I feel like paste and I'm enjoying everything. So, you know, workaholism is, again, about the consequences like any addiction. Yeah. And if you're not suffering consequences and no one's sort of, and you're not in denial about it, then good. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Makes perfect sense to me. It's like an eating me. disorder. You still, you still have to work. Like, you know, with the eating disorder, you still have to eat. And, it's, you know, you still always have the tendencies. But I think I'm in balance, I think. Brooks, Brooks looking at me like, well, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Whatever you say, sir. All right. Whatever you Let say, Let me ask sir. your wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the triplets are in college now? No, no. They are out of college. They're out of college. Can you imagine that? Yeah. One's uh, two are in grad school. So one, one's at Columbia in grad school. And uh, the other is going to start law school shortly. And so we'll see. They had great, huge, big experiences in college and went to great places and stuff. And it was so much fun. It's so much fun tailing around with them a little bit. Oh without my without gosh. helicoptering, it's still fun just to visit and stuff. Oh, it's so cool! Yeah. I'm, I, it's a whole new world for me. My oldest is now applying; she's seventeen, oh, and I'm, I'm an just expert. like, "We did do three at once." I'm an expert. I know. Seriously. I don't. I don't know. I don't, well, I don't know. Maybe doing three at once was easier than no. doing. Th- I well, just I don't different. know how you. But but because of it was so intense, like everything with triplets, it it, it was. Uh, I, I had to make myself an expert in the space and then improvise. And it worked out good. It worked out. We, we, listen, the college application thing today is a game. Make no mistake about it. I, I'm serious. I don't. I'm going to say it's not a fun game. No, and it's not a fair game either. And, and I'm and wondering. By fair, I mean in any respect. And I'm wondering right now, watching my two oldest children who are getting ready to graduate from a private school, mm-hmm. great education, great opportunity, but they're being defined sort of by test scores and the GPA, mm-hmm. and they're buried and drowning in the pressure of where yeah. am I going to get in and yeah, yeah. who am I and am I going to be good enough? And I'm sort of looking at what about the overall picture and what you've accomplished in other areas and awesome that you got a. 4.2 or a 4.0 or a 3.0, but what, who are you? Like, I'm really looking at my oldest child. No, it's hard. Vulnerably saying this and no, saying I, it's awesome that you're going to, you made the grades and you're going to get into a grade school. Who are you and how do you feel about you and how is the experience? Are you, are you asking those sorts of questions or are you sort of want, you just sort of yourself? I'm, I'm asking them myself and I am the fourth time around with my, my youngest son wondering, am I going to make the same choices? that I made with my two older children and do I, I clearly know more now than I knew back then as a parent. And I, it's just, it, it's such a, it's such I, a mystery. I will just say that, that as it pertains to which school and the grades and all that stuff, there's a price, but I think it's worth it. Mm-hmm. People say it's not, but I say it is. I'm a, I'm a huge nut about education. Mm-hmm. And one of the big areas that uh, kids are not sort of getting adequately trained, let's say, is sort of their personal grit. 
and education forces that issue and mm-hmm. makes you grit, you know, makes you, you know, really bear down and, mm-hmm. and accomplish where you didn't feel that you could. There's not a lot of areas like that anymore for, for kids. So if they're yeah. at all inclined towards academia or education, even at large, I think you push and push hard. And yes, you're going to have to ask these questions. And yes, sure. there, there may be some price on certain, I, I don't know, it'd be interesting to hear my kids think about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, they get both sides from my, my yeah. ex-husband and I because he's a doctor. So he's Mr. Education. And there's nothing more important possibly in the world. And then they get a lot of other things from me and we're quite opposite. So it's a blend. And I, I think there's something about sacrifice and struggle and succeeding and failing and all of the characters and, and traits and that are built from them, that. It does, you know, where you go to school, it's kind of, you know, what you do in school and stuff sort of matters. Yeah. Even, no matter what you do. I, totally. I always tell my kids, I said like, look, I don't care. I, I didn't force them to follow a certain field of study or anything. I just said, I don't care what you study, but learn what it is to be an expert in something. It, yeah. it's, it's, it makes a difference. You'll approach other experts differently when you understand sure. what expertise is. You have a different element of respect mm-hmm. for it, sure. Yeah, just uh, you know what you're looking for and, and when somebody's an expert. And and it's I don't know I just think that expands the mind in a way. It's a whole tough time. I, mean, yes, I think some people tough. learning how to separate from their own children and having enough confidence in them and themselves. and like, well, it's a, I sort of feel like my job is almost done now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a whole weird you, philosophy about that. Well, no, I think that's... Because that's <laughs> now I need to set them free. By the way, throughout human history, that's sort of been the way it is. Though I will tell you the 20s has become sort of a developmental period. I almost think it ought to be broken down into stages now, the early 20s, the mid-20s, the late 20s. I'm watching my kids go through this. And it's like they're distinct stages that they and their peers are going through. I mean, it's distinct. Really? And to some extent, what we're seeing with the millennials hanging out near their family of origin and stuff more than, say, we did, I think there's like practical reason for that. Uh, just the way the world they're entering, it sort of requires a lot of staging to before you enter. But your point is well taken. I mean, throughout human history, you certainly go to a certain point and then it's, hey, man, it's on you, number one. And then number two, you said something even more important, which was – separating from your kids, which is your kids can't be about you. Mm-hmm. To, to the extent that what you need to ki- your kids to be has anything to do with you. And, and I'm not sure parents, it has a whole lot to do well, with Well, inevitably, us. parents, I mean, we all fall victim to that. But really, it's you supporting that human yeah. being fulfill their potential, period, yeah. end. And allowing them to grow into who they yeah. are supposed to become, not who we hoped or wanted That's or right. wished or our own shit that we're projecting uh, on 100%, them. 100%. 100%. And I didn't know this the first time around. But <laughs> but I'm in that right now. Yeah. So. Um, but I didn't want to talk about education. That came up. And thank you for, for that insight. I, I really want to talk to you um, – about the super important and delicate subject matter of talking to kids about sex. And I don't even know what's age appropriate anymore because I had a really painful situation that happened and struggling for dialogue and needing the right words and and um, keeping the lines of communication open with your children at all ages for me is like top of the list. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, you know, don't know how to navigate this. And oh, so no, let me tell you what happened. And I'm so curious if... Um, I wish I would have spoken to you while this was going down, but I called I, my I'm, therapist I'm and I got a, great advice. Yeah, I, was, I bet you did fine. <laughs> um, so my son, um, eight years old. Um, oh, this is going to be bad. It's going to somehow – here's the problem. I, you, I know know where I, you know where I'm going with no, this. No, <laughs> here, here, I'm going to write a word down. Okay. Tell me if this works. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like – That's the word. Um, is that the problem? I'm writing word digital down, meaning web, meaning yes, internet. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the problem I today. mean— I have somebody I want you to speak to. Okay. Okay, and there's not—I'll I'll help you book it. it yeah. it's, it's not being systematically addressed, and I'm 
going around a little bit speaking with this one woman who's an attorney okay. and a psychologist. And it's p- more profound than you can imagine. It's going to freak you out. Talking okay, because I want to get really get into this because I have some thoughts and some questions it, it, and some it's conversations not, that it's are really not at all what we think about in terms of having the sex talk anymore. That's okay. oh, that's a foregone conclusion. They've they've, they've already got their visuals and they're okay. They, they've been exposed to stuff. So this is this is this is I, I think is crazy. And at, what I'm realizing now is it is so common and it is coming up so much that you know when we were growing up, you know, you wait for the talk and you get the you know oh, yeah. you, hopefully your parents oh, are confident yeah. enough to have them or not and you're kind of figuring out as your own. My son goes over to a friend's house and then, sorry everybody too, I'm going to get my own personal therapy appointment later. This is not going to be just about me. I'm asking these questions for you. Um, So goes over to a friend's house and the friend sneaks the computer privately into the room and pulls up this porn site, don't know what it was, and, and shows pornography to my baby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did another eight-year-old did this? Yeah, nine-year-old. Nine-year-old, my son was eight. And I say baby because I feel like he was so robbed of his innocence and this was so wrong on so many levels because I can thank you for that information. I can remember specifically the first time, much older than eight or nine, where I visually saw some pornography. And you kind of never, ever, ever forget that that imagery. So my son was exposed to this and was really upset and really uncomfortable and really f- didn't know what to do. How did, and how did you know this had happened? So he called me to pick him up from the sleepover, and he said he was tired and he was uncomfortable and didn't really get into it. Of course, I went to go pick him up, was acting t- a little off, and I didn't think anything of it. I had no reason to think anything was going down. And two days later, he came to me crying. Mm. I'm so upset, Mommy. I'm so upset. I need to talk to you about something. I'm so uncomfortable. I, I don't want you to get mad at me. I have to tell you something. And I, I, I'm so confused. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, baby, you can tell me anything. Like, I, with no judgment ever, what's going on? And that's kind of how I communicate with all my kids. What, what? What's wrong? Tell me anything. Okay, Mommy. Well, so I was at so-and-so's house. And then, you know, we went into his room. And then he pulled up the site. And da-da-da. And I saw this stuff. And I don't even know what I saw. And like, I, I, I was so uncomfortable. And I had this funny feeling in my stomach. I don't know what to feel about it. I don't, I don't even know. He was hyperventilating. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, are you kidding? And I still don't know what he saw. Mm-hmm. And I just, first of all, I said, I'm so proud of you for coming to me. I am so happy that you're able to share this with me. Anything that you're feeling is okay. And, like, let me help you through this. And um, in my mind, as I'm fishing for dialogue and words, I'm thinking, what did he see and now if it's confusing, I got to kind of explain it to him. Mm. How am I going to explain it to him and what's too much and yeah. what's not enough? Right. And how do I first just get him comfortable and not have shame? And I also right. didn't want to make it this big whole taboo. I was struggling. Of course. Um, and so we talked a, a little bit about I wanted to get him really comfortable with his feelings. And I wanted to ha- him to have the ultimate freedom to share anything that he wanted to share. And I also um, wanted to talk to him about that like little voice inside that I wanted him to listen to about when things don't feel right, to be able to leave it a situation or to be able to go find a parent or to be able to walk away. And very important. um, You know, it just, I was so sad as a parent for what he was exposed to so early and so young. And it was so confusing and dark and and actually scary. Yes. Yes. Well, the way we think of it is it, it shatters the upper, it shatters their upper limits of regulation. So they, they, they can't regulate. They're overwhelmed by the material. And so it's sort of traumatizing to them. It was traumatizing. Yeah. And so it's the extent that it, it's traumatic and it's around sexuality. You got to keep, uh, you know, 
you have to help them regulate, right? You have to help them soothe and calm down. And that's an intersubjective context, which you started that process, which was great. And then trying to create a narrative out of it, you know, which is creates a lot of... Uh, I was really struggling. Yeah. And it's not easy. Uh, I would urge you not, there's, with any sex talk, you don't want to impose your priorities on the conversation. Just answer their questions. Like, do you have any questions about what you saw there? Do, what, what's going on? What's happening? What do you think? What What are your feelings about this? Just like you did, just like you did, but not, you know, do you want me to do you want me to explain that to you? Or have you heard enough? Is that enough now? Yeah, that kind of thing. Those are really tender questions. Very difficult, but you, you got to just start with. Do, do you have any questions? This is something rather than giving information or trying to giving. As soon as you're trying and giving, it's my stuff trying to fix. You know, that's me. Uh, I'm superimposing my stuff on there. And to some extent, there may be some benefit in that. But s starting it out with you know, just, do you have any questions about this? Mm -hmm. you, you, listen, you did nothing wrong. You didn't see anything wrong. You saw something that it's hard to understand your age. That's yeah. There's a lot of things adults do that are hard to understand. This is this is part of that. And, I, and I, you're supposed to feel uncomfortable with it. What do you want to know? Oh. <laughs> what, what, did your, what did your therapist yeah. say? Yeah. Um, to... To downplay the to take away my oh my god yeah, like oh my god this is be, so your awful stuff and so has hot. to be out yeah and, and very to similar to what you said yeah, and, and, and really the important thing is the regulation yeah which is just be present yeah and, and this is the big this is the big issue in parenting is that we it's hard you know you have to set a boundary mm -hmm. yeah because we it's contagious we catch we catch all this we got to sure. set about we have our own stuff about it and whatever we do as a parent has to be strictly about being present for the other for the yeah. kid. And the one of the one of the big processes in development is is emotional regulation, and and we just don't teach parents how to do that, and and women are doesn't really come up at all. Yeah, well, it's the whole deal. Is yeah, but it's what you're doing. Moms do it automatically, which is you just sit and you're 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 attuning, you're paying attention, you're looking at them, you're watching, you're you're reacting, and you women have a very mommy game face. I like to call it. Well, they have a spontaneous <laughs> way of, of not only, but they'll reflect on their face a connection to the child. See, there's, there's a lot of communication going on between mom and child that's not verbal. A lot. Mm -hmm. And we have to tap into that. It's both creating a, a creating that environment, that safe, connected, attuned environment, and then reflecting back on our faces some deeper understanding mm -hmm. of the feeling states. Not our own constitutional states, but an appreciation of the child states. Like, mm, I see. I see what you're experiencing. Mm. I got it. And just reflecting it, and very letting subtle. them know that you hear, it, right? It's, yeah, well, but again, letting them know people think, oh, you're going to verbally do that. No verbal. The verbal is the least important, though it's necessary. But it's just reflecting and attuning, reflecting and attuning. It's a big piece of helping them regulate. Mm. And so, you know, you did a good job. Oh, I don't know. Thank you. No, I, I, and, I don't know if I did a good job. It's, it's a process. It's, it's a process. Always a process. Of, Think about parenting also is that it's never perfect and it's all about the restitution, mm -hmm, you know, the, mm -hmm. the re reconnection, reconnection. Mm -hmm. And the, continuing the, the to communicate. The reconnect. Yeah, yeah. Just I stop mean, thinking about words. Don't Words are the least important part, humbly. Maybe I'm saying something sacrilegious, mm -hmm. but the part the part that everybody misses is the, the nonverbal, mm -hmm. sub intersubjective, sure. the holding environment that we have to create as parents. It's hard. Just being with. Mm. Yeah, no, no, for sure, for yeah. sure. You know, thinking about, um, since you wrote down the word digital and just what our children yeah. visually are I'm, exposed I'm, I'm gonna to. Give, I'm going to give out this plug. It, it's oh, not please. a plug. It's just it's digitalcitizensacademy.org. This is where my friend runs okay. that. And it's got tons of information on how to protect your kids. My, my wife will kill me if I don't mention our podcast, too. 
yeah. uh, the doc, go to drdrew.com for this life or the Dr. Drew podcast or the the uh, weekly infusion or the other podcasts yeah. and stuff. She's, she produces all that stuff. And so she freaks no, out. No, it's super if important. I don't mention it there, there's I, so much information that's available to us. Yes. And I think that, you know, we think we're supposed to know how to deal with everything. And, you know, we, we don't. We don't because there's all these unfamiliar, crazy situations that come up all the time at, at different times in our life. And I just, um, I always think it's important to kind of reach out and, you know, get some advice and and, yeah. and keep the dialogue going. Another thing that's coming up in the mommy world too is, and, and, and subject matter when we're talking about digital and what's available mm. on the internet is how much sexual information our children are being exposed mm-hmm. to and how they process it and what their parameter of normal is. Oh. And um, can we talk about that a little well, bit? Because it's, it's, the good news is it's not as bad as we think. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Give <laughs> that, me the good news. I mean, because from our perspective, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, my God, they're exposed to all this stuff. This is going to spiral out of control. But no, they're actually delaying and they're, they're – they, here's the one thing we are seeing, though, is that uh, the young males are sort of flipped out about relationships and scared. Uh, not only are they told they're criminals, they're rapists, they're, you know, all these bad things, they're kind of doing their porn thing when they're in their late adolescence and they kind of honker down into that and they stay with that and they just, eh, women are, that's too tough. It's, they're scary. They're, they're, hmm. they're difficult, you know? And so they don't have the usual forming and breaking of relationships that historically people have in late adolescence. Is it because what they're experiencing on their own is easier than the it, there's real that, connection? There's that. It's just, it's, and it's very, very intense yes. what, they, what they're exposed to. But also they're being told they're rapists and they're bad and they can't approach a girl and they're just being shamed to death. They're being told they're, they're pathological in, in ways. My, my, my sons in college were scared to death, particularly one son, scared to death if they had spoken to a woman at a party for being accused of something, especially if that woman was holding a beer or had, had a drink, then just no way, no way am I going to even speak to them. They're scared to death. That's, That's really the way it is on college campuses. Yeah, this rape culture, I'm sorry, it's gone, my experience and what my sons experienced were the opposite. It's gone way the other way. Now, I'm sure there's still screwballs huh. doing screwball things on some campuses, but uh, it's gone the other way. And it's, a flu- and it's, and it's, of course, drifting down into the high school years. Now, here's the problem. Now they hit about age 22. They do form a relationship. And we used to get this call on Loveline all the time. They go, well, I'm 22. I'm so, and uh, I found the one. She's the greatest thing ever. I, I, she, I want to be with her. She's it. She's it. But uh, she wasn't so into it. So I've been her friend. And I've been into uh, ha- it, hanging meaning out. Meaning intimacy? No, just her friend. I'm her friend. I'm hanging out. I'm not friends with benefits. Just I'm hanging out with her, being her friend. And now it's time. They're literally saying, they're oh, literally, no. literally saying it's been two years and now it's time. I'm like, oh, oh my God. So Wait. they literally have been stalking for two years. That's stalking behavior. Make, make no mistake about it. Uh, and and now it's like, hey, I put my time in. Let's go now. Because they have no familiarity with relationships. It's just so different. So, you so know? You, I know. So here's what here's the answer. So the, the what you encourage a young man is to date. Encourage them to ask girls out and to date. Please do that as much as you can. A, because it's novel and you'll be very rewarded for it. People will think, oh, this is great. Uh, and you'll learn how to conduct yourself in a relationship and you'll learn who you are and who other people are. Just learn to hang out with people and date. Don't don't have any object in mind other than taking somebody out and having a nice time. That will teach them sufficient sort of you know, intersubjective skills mm-hmm. that they don't get stuck in this uh, stalking zone, which a lot of guys do. A lot of guys do. It's, it's sort of surprising. 
So there you go. Are you feeling better now? Now I'm really <laughs> confused. I'm thinking, gosh, two years dating. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. I have a, a couple questions that came in, so I'm going to just um, shoot these at you, if yeah. I may. Oh, good. Um, you want to do some drug and alcohol stuff, too. Yes, I yeah. absolutely do. So um, let's, I'm going to get back to this drug one. Okay. Um, what if what, your children, your child, the question says, what if my daughter asks what we do? How does a parent sexually? Or yeah. Drug, how does okay. a parent here? Here's approach look, that you are not obliged to answer anything that your kids say. Here's the answer. That I'm not. I'm not addressing that right now. You don't ever lie. Do not ever, ever, ever lie to your kids. But you do not have to answer every. I'm question. not addressing that right now. Or what? No. What you should be doing is turning it around on them, going. You know what? I'm not really comfortable answering that question now, but here's what I expect from you. And whatever you get back is, oh, I love you. Know, it means that you blah, blah. It doesn't matter what it means or doesn't mean. What do you here's mean here's what, what I expect from you? Well, what, go on, go for, on. For Finish instance, the sentence. Well, it, it's really, it's more, it's clearer in drugs and alcohol because then it's easier. Well, what did you do in high school? You know what? We're not going to talk about what I did in high school right now. We're going to talk about what I expect from you. And then they're going to go, oh, that's oh. Good. well, then they're going to go, oh, well, that means you blah, blah, blah. And I will tell you, as a matter of fact, I've seen this a million times, them going, oh, that means you smoked pot when you were 17. If you take them, put your arm around them and go, hey, man, we used to buy six lids on Saturday and we smoked we smoked out on the weekend. And and you want to be the cool parent and share what you actually did do? You are no. issuing, you are issuing no, your kid a no. license to pick up where you left off. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. They're very sensitive to hypocrisy. How dare you say you did that and I can't? On the other hand, if you want, if your child wants to make any assumptions about what you did, but you're not telling them, it has a very different impact. Now, they're twenty. Those questions come up. How old were you when you yeah, was? We're not how old were you when your first time? What you're gonna, I'll tell you when you're 25. I promise you, on your birthday, oh. I'll answer all questions. Oh, that's right a good now, one. At least that yeah. gives them something yeah. to look yeah. forward right to. Right now, here's <gasps> what I expect from you. Period. End of story. That's it. You do not have to answer every question. Boundaries, everybody. You don't have to answer that. You're the parent. You're not obliged to answer those questions, especially when you know the impact will be profound. And the impact is issuing a license to pick up where you left off. They may they may not cash That's that good. license. They may not use that license, but you are issuing that license. Because it does come up. That kind that does. question comes up a lot. Did and then you? and then I you can you can be very sensitive about it too and flip it around and go, listen, it's gotta be tough. I know you're exposed to a lot of stuff these days. I know you're gonna try things. I know it's gonna happen. You can say things like that. But I would advise after you've said that, you go, but there will be consequences. Yeah. <laughs> if you do any of these things, here's what's gonna happen. And the consistency and you be very of very clear about it. Very clear. Yeah. Not not, hey, you can smoke cigarettes here, but not here. You can drink alcohol here, but not here. Adolescent brains can't handle that. It's no. Very clear boundary. And uh, yeah, I understand you're going to try to do whatever. Try me. Go ahead. It's all right. Go ahead. I, I know you you're are gonna hardcore. Because that's the only way you can be. It's the only way it works. And you, you know, you live in a world where you're seeing the aftermath of all of the mistakes that. So this is not only really, do I live in that world. Really I live in the world where I tell parents what to do and they don't do it. And I had to tell my kids that I said, "Look, you know what I do all day long. I tell parents what to do. They don't do it. Kids die." And mm-hmm. I'm not going to let that happen to you. I'm, I'm telling you, here's the boundary. It really hurts me. What's mm-hmm. going to happen if you break that boundary? But trust me, I will. So here's trust the me. dialogue. The teenage comes and says, all my friends are smoking pot. I know right from wrong. I'm coming to you, and I really want to try it. Is that something that we can explore? Let's look at the adolescent brain literature, uh, if you want to. And it's very clear. It's super clear what, what the consequences are. And it's like, I'm not willing to put your brain at risk like that. So here's the deal. I'm the parent. You're not going to do that. Uh, zero tolerance. You, not, you can't have you can't have parts. Zero tolerance zero is tolerance the key is, here. 
zero tolerance. And uh, go ahead and try if you want, but there will be consequences if I find out about it. And God help you. <laughs> I was told them that I said, God help you. If you go to a house where a parent gives you a substance, I will be out on the lawn with the sheriffs laughing my freaking ass off as they haul those parents off. So try me. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I would do that. I am taking notes right here, and I am stealing your writer, Dr. Drew, and I am going you to— You tell him you no. laugh your effing ass off on the lawn while the other parents are hauled off by the sheriffs, because that's what's going to happen. Now, how do you they, feel about alcohol? Because, same. Same. It's against—I I just saw I go— is there any other illegal activity I allow you to do in the in your life? Is there, is there other legal help? Help mm-hmm. me. Is there something illegal I let you do, or that would not be a consequence if you did? Oh, right. Last time I checked, drinking is twenty one. Okay. Well, that's that. That's against the law. I don't tolerate that. Period. And it's against the law for parents to do that. And if anything happens while the parents are offering you this, those parents are specifically liable for everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at every adverse health outcome for a teenager and young adult, every one you find alcohol. Unwanted pregnancy, rape, unwanted sexual contact, STDs, accidents, fights, every every adverse health outcome, alcohol. So, am I concerned about your health? Yes. Am I going to tolerate alcohol? No. No. Period. Very simple. And go ahead and try. Go. I know you're going to try. Listen, I know you're an adolescent. I know how hard this is. I and it, I'm sorry. I'm really. I really was apologizing a lot of the time. I'm really sorry. But I just know what happens if you if you don't take this approach. I've seen it. You yeah, know, we need you, to get educated people. I've said, I told I them, mean, I, said, I said, look, you come to my drug unit all the time. They used to come with me. to the, I used to show them what was going on so in the that, drug unit, and they had freaked them out pretty good. And then I'd say, look, you, you see what I see. You see what I'm doing all day, and here's what I know. And and it's you know it sucks being my kids. <laughs> but, well, and then once they went to college, look, my job is done, and you guys do what you do, and that's on you. That what point. are your thoughts on – getting to college and turning 21 and all of a sudden American children go hog wild and they're doing shots and getting oblivion and getting drunk and going crazy. A, a, kids around a, the world. Not true. No. Not true. The the world, the rest of the world gives, hands us that BS. The literature on the outcome from alcohol in France and Italy and certain mm-hmm. in England is off the chain. They have such a problem, but they just don't, they don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. They go, look what we do. We start drinking their eight. Their incidence of alcoholic liver disease is unbelievably high. They have a serious problem with alcohol in those countries where they start drinking early. And every piece of literature on alcoholism shows you start drinking early, you're more likely to get out of control. That's so, why I'm asking so you these all, questions because you have – yeah, we that's have these BS. myths and these things that we no. think we believe. No, so look, in, let them, in college, they're on their own, man. Now, that's it. I mean, you can't control them in college and you shouldn't be trying to control them in college. It's And they're not yet 21. They're 18 when they go to college. And yet it's a little early and they may try illegal things. I can't – I. My job is done. I'm. I'm sorry. I, I'm, if you get in trouble, it's on you. It's on you. Mm-hmm. At that point, you're you're now an adult, so called, and uh, you know you're making these choices, and you know you'll suffer the consequences. I'll make sure of it. There's a lot of talk in the news, and I hear a lot about this about opioid addiction, oh, and I didn't bad. hear about that in growing up. No, nothing like that. So. You know, clearly things are changing, but what, what's what's the shift? Is it over prescribed drugs yes. that are available? Are yes. they getting drugs from drug? Yes. What, no, what's well, it's, happening? It's in most of the first drug, most of the use initially is from the medicine cabinet. So it's it's whatever's left over from your wisdom tooth extraction or whatever procedure you've had, they'll take it. And uh, there's a low threshold to perceived harm. And whenever adolescents have an there's an inverse relationship between the perception of harm and the probability of use. So there's low perceived harm historically. I mean, it's, it's finally catching up. And look, I, I've been saying since Heath Ledger died that we that was the that day I said this is it, everybody is so. the lip of a tsunami that's coming. It's it's here because I was seeing it all the time. 
And um, that the, the fact that my peers are still prescribing opiates with benzodiazepines is beyond my comprehension. That's a deadly combination. And uh, we've created a lot of addictions, as we did in the first opioid epidemic in 1890. Mm -hmm. That was all brought on by my profession, too. So we do it. You know, we try to do how we, we hope to do good, and we end up, you know. And what about the um, dealing with addiction with other types of drugs that are developing a second addiction going through the process? Sure. What do you mean? I don't get the question. Uh, get, we, like we spoke about this with this earlier. Oh, uh, we were talking we're, earlier. This is David, the producer. Uh, we were talking about Suboxone, Methadone. Yeah, like I'm not a fan. People being weaned off of one. Yeah, drug. not a fan. Weaned off of one, given it's another. It's a gigantic and, topic. I talk about it all the time on this life. Uh, that other podcast I do. It's a mad, a huge topic. I'm not a fan. Uh, now, it can save lives. It does have some utility. I'm not. An, I'm not a vilifying it, but the excessive enthusiasm for it is extremely disturbing. Extremely disturbing. And is that driven by uh, I, I, pharmaceutical it's, company? Uh, it's partly. Adulation? Partly. partly. Yeah. It, it's very complicated. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really beyond what you guys want to talk about here, believe me, because it, it, it gets into the no, weeds I get of that. medicine. I get it, that. It, but it's, it's a mistake generally to give an addict a pill. You will make them either continue addict, an addict, or chronically ill in one form or another. I'm only in... I got in this field to help people return to a flourishing, fully mm -hmm. flourishing existence. I saw that happen. It was a miracle. I wanted to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in making people chronically ill. Now, yeah. some it makes people, perfect sense to and me. Some people, like, that's all they can be. I, and it will save their life. So you see? So it has utility. Mm -hmm. But to, if you got opioid addiction, I would not be wanting you on a replacement therapy. If, if strangely, doctors are never put on replacement therapy, Hmm. We have this enthusiasm for our patients, but we never do that for doctors and lawyers and uh, airline pilots. Isn't that something? Well, think about it. What do the doctors go to then? Abstinence. Like 12, 12 they go, of course, 12 steps, and they take a, takes a year or two to get well. They have to take a lot of time and a lot of effort, but they're motivated. They want to practice medicine again, and guess what? They do it, and they, and they do great. They have great outcomes. It's really scary. I mean, just stuff that never came up, you know, when I was in school. I mean, Mortieri talks about heroin in high school. And I but, and I ask I'm, my children, and they never see it or hear yeah, about you, it or talk about it, but everybody else is. How much of this is— Your kids' generation, I think, are on the tail end of all this. I think I it's going to be so. about over by then because uh, it, it really can't go on. It's killing people. Hero, everyone that's, everyone's trying to be addicted is dying. in high school? Like, oh, yeah. What? Oh, yeah. Routinely. And it starts because somebody had a knee surgery and was put on opiates and stayed on it for six months. Then they cut them off, didn't recognize what they had done by putting them on the opiate for all that time. And the patient goes, the, the kid, patient, goes to the drugs, goes to the street. They got to do something. They're an addict now. Addict will always find the drug. Mm -hmm. And share it and talk uh, about it. Nah, or, I mean, that's a. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not because sure it's as cool as you think it is. It, it, it's, the, you know, this, this subset that are doing drugs are a little set off. It's not, it's not, they're not as idealized as mm -hmm. they were in the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. uh, when I used to see them in high school and stuff. And um, skipping a generation now and in sort of my social circle, there's a lot of talk about ayahuasca coming up. Yeah, it's insane. And I'm dying to know That's insane. your thoughts and it's your insanity. perspective. And well, this, like, I, I will, let me, let me, <laughs> let me temper my, 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 I, I don't mean to be strictly negative because no, I, I do I, I believe. No, I want your opinion genuinely. Here's what I believe. I believe LSD, DMT, and maybe Ibogaine and ayahuasca. And by the way, please don't send me your letters about Ibogaine and heroin addiction. Yes, it has utility. Yes, they stop using for six months. Vast majority go back. 
and there's personality changes if they've taken enough to stop the opiate use. So I, I'm not sure what's happening there with the price. Not something. They always go back. They always go back. I've only seen one case where he didn't go back, and I'm not sure he wasn't on his way. And it was just somebody I ran into who announced to me that he got better with the Ibogaine. I thought, all right, all right, well, maybe one case. Huh. Um, so, so LSD, DMT, and the sort of ayahuasca class um, is going to have utility in trauma treatment. I'm, I'm firmly of the beliefs of this. In fact, I've got a podcast up right now that we're talking about that with Dave Navarro, who's mm-hmm. undergoing that treatment. Yeah, yeah. Dave's getting that treatment. And um, I, I don't. I'm not ready to advocate for it or to say you know to tell people they should use it. But I do believe there'll come a time. There, there's too much sort of evidence flying around that in post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder, combat so stress, stress ask you, yep. in adverse childhood experiences that are unresolved, in uh, death and dying. I believe I, the death and dying literature on LSD looks amazing. If I were dying now, I think I would do it. It looks amazing. I'm not advocating other people to it yet because I don't know the full price of it yet, the full medical cost. I mean, risk by cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, risk. Mm-hmm. Are you ta- you're talking about the person who is going through the experience of, of dying death. or yeah. of death? Okay, not yeah. not their family and no, 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 not no, grief, not, not coping grief. with yeah, grief, not, but... but actually dying themselves. It, it really seems to make that a more okay process. Wow. And I'm all for reducing human suffering. Uh, so, so uh, you know, I'm not all negative, I'm not, and I have no philosophical. To me, all chemicals are just chemicals. There's no good chemicals and bad chemicals. There's only a molecule and its relation to the human brain and how humans use it. That's it. It's mm-hmm. a molecule. It's not a good molecule and a bad molecule. Marijuana is neither good nor bad. Alcohol is neither good nor bad. Alcohol is some of the worst consequences of any drug we use, and yet sort of goes down as a good drug. Mm. It's ridiculous. Oxycontin, bad drug? Well, if you have pancreatic cancer, good drug. You know what I mean? It's just, it depends on the circumstance and the relationship and the genetics of the individuals using it, why they're using it, that kind of thing. These are just molecules and the brain. Now, when it comes to something like ayahuasca, we don't know the full risk. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that my experience, I've seen persistent mood problems. I've seen personality changes. And at least a third of the time that people go down there, they have horrible experiences under this Vomiting thing. and there are yeah, groups the whole, of people and, that are getting together and, like in the mountains. Yeah, and, and, the like, one, and, and another 30 or so, maybe 20% have sort of neutral experiences and the 30 to 50% have these fo- positive experiences. What really has changed? Nothing really has changed in their life that I have seen. They, they sort of say, oh, I see things different. I do it. Like, yeah, what are you doing differently? What's different in your life? Really? As opposed to doing the really hard work of actually dealing with the you know the philosophical challenges of mm-hmm. life and the spiritual issues and As if really some psychedelic changing. trip is going to take you yeah, and fix all. some yeah now, I mean I, friend, I hear I hear it all I have a friend named Duncan Trussell you might want to interview he's a great guy and he's he's a deep advocate for all this and he sort of sees it all as he says to me he goes look it's like taking an elevator up to a different spiritual plane. The elevator opens and then you go go back down. But now you've seen it. Now you know where you want to go and you find your way there. And I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And again, at what risk? I always mm-hmm. tell him, I was like, what are you risking? What's going to happen? What could happen as a result? I don't know. Because we're the brain is a very delicate instrument. It's easy to damage. It. Sure. Easy to. And how qualified around. are the people that are administering in these sort Zero. of shamans Zero. or doctors? Zero. And there's oh. a group of people. Yeah. What if somebody loses their way in the process of this trip? I, yeah. I, again, I, who knows? We don't know. The literature's not there. We're supposed to be, you know, advocating for things that you know do no harm. And, people and say I, that there's not, equivalent sometimes with hundreds of hours of traditional therapy. And if that's well, again, yeah, you know. if you're a trauma survivor, I think that may be true. But again, that needs to be managed in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. And what dosing and how much and how – I don't know. That yeah. research has not been done yet. 
You're, you're more, you look like you're poised for a question. Question? No? No, no just uh, fascinating topic yeah. to oh, me. What, because okay, it's well, just, here's, yeah. a, here's one. Um, uh, if there is a gene for alcoholism yeah, and drug addiction. there is. Uh, I've only seen, I've treated 10,000 addicts. I can only think of five where there wasn't a specific obvious familial heritage. Well, so, so I then, wonder if there's a gene. Well, <laughs> at some point, shouldn't there be a genetic engineering fix for it? Like yeah, that would be the holy grail. Space. The problem is that it's a, for, there's no genetic engineering for really anything yet except cancer. Because the, the risks of going with our genes, particularly in the brain, are you kidding me? That That's maybe a thousand years off. Yes, that is the holy grail. But I think that's at least hundreds of years off, in my humble opinion. And the other thing about alcohol and, and addiction is it's groupings of genes. It's a whole series of genes. There's many candidate genes out there, a lot of which have very significant power in certain cases in terms of predicting the probability of disease. Um, generally, here's another piece of it. You want to mess with genes? Uh, generally, I actually think addiction is a byproduct of evolution that is positive. And let me explain mm. it this way. That if you look on the globe where the gene for addiction, the genetic potential for addiction, let's not even call it a gene, let's call it genetic potential, is most intense, it's, it's, it's places that are isolated, which how genetic groupings emerge, and is places that have undergone multi-generational genocidal assaults. Scotland, North American Indian, certain parts of Central Europe, parts of Africa. And guess what that, that means? That means the better survivors under that condition have this gene. And so I started, when I started looking at that, I, it was actually the movie Braveheart that made me look at it. I'm like, oh my God, those, those guys that survived out of 10,000, the three, mm -hmm. those three are clearly alcoholics. They're not drinking, but those, that's an alcoholic. I know it, this Scottish alcoholic. Uh, and um, I started experimenting. I'd go back to the group. I lecture large groups mm -hmm. of addicts every week. And I go, hey, man, if a bunch of Huns came over the hill, what would you guys do? And they, about 85% of them always say the same thing. I, I'd pick up a chair and I'd go run at them. Like <laughs> that was so contrary to my impulse. I was like, oh, that is not a normie thing. I go, how about if some, a bomb exploded in the parking lot? Oh, I'm going checking out. So it's a sort of a survival type of It's a of survivor a gene? gene, yeah. And, and, they, and you'll see when you talk to them, they make great fighter pilots, great shortstops, great extreme athletes, and great surgeons, and you know, other things. And, and they, huh. when, when they're under extreme duress, like literally life-threatening life duress, the world slows down for them. And they, they stop being anxious and they kind of get high and they, they can, they see everything and they, they kind of are into these extreme situations. They're the people that are seeking out the bungee jumps and all this kind of stuff or whatever, you know, extreme circumstance. Hilarious. Yeah. But so they're, it's their survivors and they're better survivors in extreme adversity. And so to think about addiction as a shameful, awful, and horror, that to me is anathema to what the thing is. So we're gonna get back to Dr. Drew in just a minute. So much great information, so please stick around. But first I wanna to talk to you again about Sunbasket. Here's the deal, everybody. I try to eat healthy for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that I need to fuel my body because I exercise a lot and I need to feel good and I need maximum energy to accomplish what I do in my life. And Sunbasket right now has a new program that totally fits into my lifestyle. It's called a Lean and Clean Meal Kit. And they deliver right to your door. And the Lean and Clean Meal Plan makes healthy weight management actually really manageable. There's pre-measured ingredients, super easy to follow directions. I can even prepare these meals with my 10-year-old daughter. So you can cook delicious lower calorie meals in your own kitchen and you can do it in 30 minutes or less, which is amazing if you've got a busy schedule like me. The Lean and Clean meals are made with whole, unprocessed, organic, non-GMO ingredients. They don't have any gluten. There's no added sugar. There's no dairy. 
The recipes are packed with nutrients, and I was really surprised to learn that they have less than 600 calories per meal. I didn't know that when I was prepping and then enjoying the meal, so that's, that's pretty amazing. So they keep you satisfied, and they still help you lose weight. Plus, they come with a special leaner and cleaner instruction kit. So if you want to slash even more calories, that's your choice. You can do that. You can slash more calories and fat. So just go to sunbasket.com slash naked. They've got paleo, gluten-free, vegetarian options, breakfast meal options. You can eat cleaner and leaner today with Sunbasket. Just go to sunbasket.com slash naked and you can get 50% off of your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash naked. You get a 50% savings from all of us at Naked Mom. Go to sunbasket.com slash naked. I know we're popping around here, but I, I want to bring up um, a couple more of these questions. So, uh, okay, here is a good one. Um, how do I bring up birth control without looking like I'm saying it's okay to be having yeah. sex? I, I would look at that. I, it's a very tough question. It's hard to navigate. Uh, I, I would – I don't have a great, you know, clear answer for that except to say it's very much like talking to a kid about seatbelts. You're going to put the seatbelt on. That doesn't mean go ahead and speed now. It means just put the seatbelt on. And so, you, A, educate, right? So, A, here's what birth control is. How, here's how you get it. Uh, if you need any help with it, for whatever reason, no questions asked, go to the doctor and I won't ask. If you need to go make an appointment, whatever, you can even set it up so you can make it yourself or come to me. I'll go with you if you want, whatever you're comfortable with, but no questions asked. This is how this works. This is what it's good for. And, you know, I'd, I'd be extremely pleased if you decide that have your whatever talk mm -hmm. you want to have about sexuality, that you're certain to protect yourself, even if it is just a maybe. It's we not the hall pass to go out now we, uh, and to have sex. We it's have put that... condoms down. We put them downstairs in our bathroom. We someone sent me a huge box. Oh, I'm not ready for that. We, we I think we I think we supplied most of the kids in the, the school in that class. <laughs> I was like, just just go. We won't even look. Just go. Just you know where they are. That's where they are. If you need them, you know what they're for, and you know, educated about that. Oh, oh but you know what? I'll tell you how you you discourage some of that is talk about the interpersonal context and the the emotional impact of that kind of intimacy. Mm -hmm. You may not be ready for it. You may mm -hmm. bond you to somebody before you're ready. Be sure you know what that young lady, if you're talking to a boy, what, what the girl's experiencing. This is intense. This is this is like not trivial. This is not. Don't let the culture fool sure. you about sex. Sure, sure, that sure. kind of thing. Has uh, the friends with benefits idea become sort of normalized as the high school ex yeah. age experience? Mm -hmm. but, yeah, I mean, Ugh. kind of because there's a lot of hanging out and hooking up. There's not a lot of dating or a lot of relationships, as I was telling you earlier. Um, probably not as bad as you would think, given that there's not a lot of dating or girlfriend, boyfriend stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is out there and is more sort of defended. However, I will tell you that somebody ends up getting hurt in that stuff. Always. Yeah. Somebody. I'm not saying it's sure. always the female. It's a guy gets hurt too. It, it, they, somebody gets more in than they intended or than they realized they would or then maybe they misinterpreted the cues or whatever. And that's not healthy. Uh, but Okay. <laughs> There hmm. we go. Do you think it's true that this generation is having a harder time connecting because they're so used to speaking uh, on tech yes. devices and yes. abbreviated ways yes. and there's no more to tonality is out the window. Nobody's – like 100%. my phone never rings for my children. I know. It's ever. Nobody – I know. It's nobody – and with my kids, I'm like, I don't want the, um, you know, the, the, the abbreviated I love you or the GN or the – I want you to pick up the phone. What's GN? 
good night. Okay. Like that doesn't work for me. I want to hear your voice. That's what I yeah. say. It's a whole nother language. I yeah. want to hear your voice. Yeah. Good. I want to hear this. I, I hey, wanna- listen, we used to get that from our parents about the phone. And I'm like a foreigner. Think about that. The phone, we'd be like, well, you're always talking to the phone. This which I'm with the phone. That was my generation, the parents. Like, hey, don't you ever talk to anybody in person anymore? That was the phone. Now we have the texting. It's, it's kind of scary. Like, I wonder how they are going to be able to really connect and communicate. Well, I'll tell you, you're, you're really talking about the millennial group. And your yeah. kids are the one behind that. I, I think, yeah. again, I think it's going to be different for that age group. But for the millennials, oh, my God, getting them into addiction treatment is 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 really difficult. They're having trouble motivating. They're having trouble finding meaning. They're having trouble connecting to the staff. I, I've been thinking that we have to the, millen- up, the millennials. The millennials. I, I've been thinking we have to find some kind of way of using this, the phone, to connect to them first. Because they relate to it. They 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 come in oh, first through it. this. Yeah, I know. Yeah. They come in first through the phone and then connect them on a human level. I, I don't know. And literally their motivation, uh, Bob Forrest is always complaining that he's like, what do you want to do, man? You want to spend the rest of your life living, smoking pot in your dad's basement? Come on. What do you want to do in life? And the response is always the same. I don't know. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? How bizarre is that? It's like I want you to get happy. I want you to be yeah. fulfilled. That's what I want you to do. Now, yeah, what does that mean for you? That out. Yeah. I can't really dance dance around it, so I got to yeah. just get. It's a bit provocative, but I have to get specific. All right. So my friend's eleven um, year old daughter walked in on her and her oh, husband yeah. Yeah. in the shower yeah. having oral sex. Yeah. Yeah. And I put myself in that. I was like, I would be devastated as would my husband and more so for my child. And then there would be shame and humiliation. It would just, would, I, I don't, I, how, how do you deal with that for the sake of the child? How do you have that co- follow-up conversation? Like what happens then? Like <laughs> I know that most people have accidentally walked in on their beds. I never did that. No, thank no, God. No, not most people. Not most people. It, it, but it does certainly happen, right? And it's happened through history. And it's, you know, people have made it through okay after something like that. I I, I think if it were me, you, you want to make it uh, like, listen, that's, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened. That's, you know, this is what, I love your father. This is how we express ourselves. Um, this has got to be tough for you to understand. But I, I want to, here. I'm here for you if you have any questions. And I would, and I would get a therapist for the kid. I would, I would get professional help to just to, to mitigate the probability of there being trouble. Yeah. Just to help, help. Uh, I, again, you want to find a way of doing it without making a big deal about it. Yeah. Again, shaming the kid and all this kind of stuff. But from one incident, that- personally, personally, I said personally. Yeah, I'm yeah. not saying you have to. I'm not saying even I recommend it. I'm saying personally, I would do that to mitigate the risk because it's so intense. She called her therapist because she was really struggling. Good. And the therapist said something very similar, just said, this isn't about you right now. Like, do not make this, I didn't hear the conversation, but such a big deal. You kind of have to downplay it a little bit, have the conversation, and then it's sort of like, okay, so what do you want for dinner? Right. And don't dwell on the, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Always (laughs) not about you. Parenting is never about you, though we are inevitably involved with it. But but I I would say... um, the reason I said the therapist thing is because you never know the extent to which people are going to succeed at, at being able to be okay. You know how much right. everybody's different, and to help uh, them just process it, make yeah, sense of I it. Mean, the just, fact that you had a therapist there already is fifty, maybe eighty percent of the issue, which is checking in with somebody, making sure I'm okay mm-hmm. with this, having the support so she can handle it with her daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that kind of stuff is really important. It's, the therapist, makes it makes it very different. Yeah, absolutely. The therapist, she said, was also really harsh on her 
for a lot for not locking and the said, doors. You know what? Yeah. Your responsibility. Yeah. Gotta lock the door. Like almost like That's it almost not sounded like parental. Almost That's like not harsh. And she said, Yeah, gotta lock. Why would like you are you are putting your child at and I thought about the two. I'm like, God, am I really that careful all the time? Like well, my, but here's and the it deal. made me think, uh, yeah, we better get really responsible here. Yeah, but be but again, it's not about being compulsive around our sexual behaviors. It is the fact that you're so casual speaks volumes about the attention to which you're not giving the boundaries with your kids. Mm-hmm. So the, mm-hmm. the the therapist was appropriately taking that information and going, this is just the tip of the iceberg, I'm sure. And there's something you you need to pay attention to your boundaries, honey. Mm-hmm. And that's good. It made good me message. think a lot about what happens in my own household. Yeah, like, sure. oh my gosh, it, you know. Yeah, we all think about it. Good. I mean, absolutely, right? Mm-hmm. Poor Brooke, she's not going to sleep for a week I'm after just this. Like, oh, I'm going to be like hardcore. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about. Here's the consequent, honey. Lock the door. Here's the deal. Yeah, but, <laughs> Boundaries, but, but no exceptions. But keeping yourself out of it, right? But you, again, it, it's we're having to coach all the time in, in Al-Anon and dealing with addicted loved ones. Because mm-hmm. you have to find a way to set a boundary with love. Yeah. Right? You have to be firm but present and caring. It's really hard. It's a, quite a balancing act. It's like, that. listen, it breaks my heart to do this, but here's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And do it. And and be present not not disconnected and angry and pushing mm-hmm. away. Be present when you do these things. That's parenting. <laughs> but this hard. is such an important conversation because I, I'm guilty of it myself. With four children, you get a little bit more You're trying to survive, little bit, for God's sake. A little bit more relaxed kids. with each Relax. one. And You're trying to survive. You're trying to survive. I know it is with multiple kids. I know what But if is. I had the knowledge and the, re- the access to the research that you have, if I knew what you know, oh, I'm still it just would a dad. be. No, oh. But I mean, medically, about the risks of. You know, there's always the parent. I'm not that parent, but has the high school party and takes all the keys and thinks, yeah, everybody can be here and everybody can drink because nope. I'm, I'm like, nope. I would never, nope. ever, That's, ever. Everything that happens in that house is now your direct responsibility, yeah, but including even, illegally contributing to the delinquency of minor by providing yeah. alcohol. But mentally and emotionally and psychologically, what you're saying, the damage and the risks and what can happen. I don't think most people are aware of of the seriousness of this. Here's another area they're not aware. It it is profoundly against the law to do that as a parent. Profoundly. It's a really serious liability, number one. Number two, um, did you know that in the state of California, if you ask, if if your 17-year-old son asks a 17-year-old girl, just for sake of conversation, for a, a sext, he's committed a felony. If she then sends the, a sexting picture, she or even sexting dialogue, mm-hmm. but the picture is really what her issue. You, she's committed a felony. I did not know if that. If he accepts the picture, it's another felony. If he shows each person he shows it to is another felony. That's why. So you part talk. of the problem. I didn't know that. You and they don't know. This is strongly. part of the problem. Do you know, I know. what I mean? That's we what are. You need, you need to talk to the, my friend. You got to. I'm talk going to. Because she will freak you the hell out. <laughs> because we and, have to get educated yeah. as a society, and this and, whole and parenting she's, thing. She was a DA, and she said, "You know, I used to see these things, and I no, would I didn't. Go, did you know she, that, David? She, no. She, I would go for it. I would go for these. I would go for a full felony, multiple felony accounts. Well, of course, there's and, evidence right there on the phone. And that kid is going to be forever registered as a sex offender. I'm kind of glad it's a felony. Forever registered as a sex offender can forget about cops. Can forget about job. I mean, it is a profound. Yeah, it's profound. Kids got to know this. Yes, when we when we told we she and I were giving a lecture group of kids, and they're like they got all agitated. They're like, you're, you're the government's hiding that from us. And she goes, No, it's in the California statutes. Just you look it up. You just don't know it. You don't know it, so you think somebody's hiding it from you. No, it's there. I, okay, let's make it something else really simple. So the parent who allows the high school party at her house, and everybody gets drunk, and who knows if there's an accident. But another parent. What are the risks of that parent who is breaking the law and is giving alcohol to minors? I mean, so how, I'm how, a pa- does the, how does the law interpret what happens? 
In other words, there's a rape or, or a STD or a pregnancy or a car accident. All that they're or, responsible or, for. Or, or, they're all, or none of that, but another parent wants to—is there a consequence for the parent who has broken the law mm-hmm. and, his, and is giving underage children alcohol? Yes, if, if somebody pushes it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's serious stuff. Yeah. So think just, about that. I, people, <laughs> think twice about that when you're trying to be the cool parent and be the friend and not the parent. If you're trying to be the cool parent, like, you're, you're, being you're drowning. The, you're being a not a good parent. Yeah, 100%. And again, I am not saying don't expect kids to push boundaries and try everything. Of course, they're kids. They're going to. But your job is to be the parent. As being the parent, the clearer the boundary you can give them, the better the outcomes are. That's it. It's not like they, you know, act out magically against it. They feel cared for. So That's what they're looking for yeah. is boundaries. Yeah. Like you are very clearly not on the like, well, it's better to have them do it under our roof where we know where they are. And it's clearly. <laughs> no if, answer, buts they, they about it. They can't. You can do that if it's your kids. You're still, A, endorsing illegal activity. B, increasing the probability of a problem. C, confusing an adolescent brain, which is you can do this here and not there because they will now for sure do it elsewhere as well, for sure, mm. because that's what you've given them is that that green light. And kids cannot process, I can do this here, but not here. They don't do that. They just, I can do this. <laughs> and I know I'm not supposed to do much, but they, they, they're, mm-hmm. they're cool. I'll do it over at Susie's house. Yeah, I'll do it, Jane. I'll do it. What, here it goes. That's game on. And, you know, illegal until you're 21. So there's, but let's talk about recre- legal recreational use of marijuana. My, so, my my big concern there is is the the literature on the brain effects are really quite profound. In fact, they even surprised me how how compelling some of that literature is. Can I, you I share was, some of that? Just yeah, I mean it, these I, the simple you know the simple sketch is there's anatomical changes in the brain, really substantial, that are permanent, and it's associated with a lot of different uh, functional and emotional kinds of outcomes. Uh, the the you know once a month use, whatever. Though even that showed some amazing, so I, I don't know if I believe that literature, but regular use clearly has long-term consequences under the With, age of twenty. Oh, under the clearly, age of twenty, clearly, especially under the age of eighteen. And what are some of those consequences? Um, difficulty. I, you know, I, I sort of ignore a lot of it because I don't want to get into the weeds of it. I hate ah, to get on one side or the other of the of the literature, but things like you know, outcome at school, outcome in careers, outcomes in, you know, so in executive functioning of the brain, and memory functioning, these kinds of things. Uh, just and, and adults get the same thing, but adults it's reversible. So okay, if an adult wants to do it, that's one thing. It's all reversible. Fine. Under the age of twenty. But under the age of twenty, certainly under the age of eighteen, it, the 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 stakes are a lot higher. And the medical community is one hundred percent. At least the addiction medicine community. It's like we're all really clear about this and standing by. And going, oh boy, how's this going to play out? It's scary. It's scary to see. But again, mm. I, I, that doesn't mean I'm one side or the other of the legal issue. I, I don't make the laws. I the kind, That's up to the people to figure out what the law should be. But are you seeing yeah. like people streaming in, you know, in states? I mean, California I, now has I, had I'm medical just saying, for a while. I'm saying that, that the, well, the medical thing has just been a joke. But but the not that there aren't medical uses. There are. It just, come on now. <laughs> Everybody's got a. Yeah. Every, every, uh, I mean, every drug addict I've ever treated has a card. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're not even asking that they have heroin addiction or not? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but um but this is back to the some molecules are good and some molecules are bad stuff. Some are legal, some are illegal. I, that is an argument that's insane to me. That that you know, alcohol is legal, marijuana is illegal. Yes, that's insane. That's insane. Alcohol sure. clearly way worse. Clearly, clearly. Mm. But this one has its own liabilities too. So I don't know. It's up to the people. Hmm. So uh, a little bit earlier, you talked about um, the uh, Alan Alanon. 
Yeah. You know, um, can I you, I, th- I think people, a lot of people don't even know what that is. Okay. So if you are involved, if you have a loved one who's an addict or alcoholic, whether or not that person is in treatment or not, you can benefit from going to a program called Al-Anon, which is another 12-step program, but it's a 12-step program for people in and around addicts and alcoholics. And if you want to look at the most perfect model for alcoholism addiction I've ever seen, consult the, the movie A Little Shop of Horrors. A Little Shop of Horrors is about the, the plant, what was the plant's name? The, uh, the Audrey Two. The Audrey Two is this plant that's fed blood. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger the more blood you see. And eventually, it gets big enough that every time, somehow, every time you go into the room with the plant, it eats you. You go into the plant. It's the perfect model for addiction. <laughs> oh perfect. If you, go, if, you go, if you go in and around the person with addiction, you're going into the disease. You're going into the plant. You're going in. You, you must have you, – it, it's a disease that gets and takes advantage of brains the brain of the individual and the brain of the people around mm. the addict. So every instinct like you that. have, every instinct you have, everything you you think is the right thing to do with that addict will be wrong because it's how the disease works. Even I when I'm working with an addict, I got to keep recovering people in the room with me to keep kicking my chair to make sure I don't go into the plant because oh. I will go. I will go that direction. You you have to, you ever heard the myth of the Minotaur and Ariadne's cord, the golden thread? What's yeah. uh, I forget the name of the guy. Is goes in Hercules, Hercules, Hercules or? or somebody like that goes into the the uh, the maze. Goes into the maze right. to find the Minotaur, and he on Ariadne gives him a cord to you know pull him back out if he if he needs to come out quickly. You get lost in the maze if you don't mm-hmm. have Ariadne's cord. And Ariadne's cord is an Al-Anon sponsor or support. Uh, or a therapist. So it's a program for to help people cope with the people with this condition because every decision. I, I didn't you know. Make, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't for that's, and I, I and the, the frustrating part for me is I'm always telling people, you go to Alan, go to Alan, go to Alan. They're like, yeah, well, but it's not my disease. It's his. Like, mm-hmm. Go to Alan. And that and by by that's not a recommendation like, hey, exercise a little more, lose some weight. No, that is a recommendation, it, which is if you do not go to Al-Anon, you are actively participating in the demise of the patient who you brought here for treatment. You, it's it affect. I know you don't think you have a problem, but you do because you have an addict in your family, and it's it's getting under your it's getting into your biology. It just does. And so, yes, you maybe wouldn't have had any treatment had you not had the addict child or whatever. But now that you do, if you really care and you want to make a difference, this is how you make a difference. Mm, I picked up a book on the 12-step principle and read it because somebody I knew wrote it and gave it to me. And it just happened. I actually was really fascinated. I thought there were so many great principles that applied to different areas of my life. It was just really positive and and really good. You can get out of it what you need. Yeah. That's the thing. But having that – the part that's all missed in all the self-help world is the part that you need another human being to get to change. It's about it, humans change in an intersubjective context. They change in relationships. They don't change much reading books or mm-hmm. they change because of another person being there with them, sharing. To work through it with that it person. Just, it just changes how your brain regulates. Uh, I was back to that topic mm-hmm. again. Um, and having that other person there uh, taking you through an experience changes you. That's what a therapist does, right? Mm-hmm. So just, it totally. does, it, they've, the literature shown over and over again that really doesn't matter what technique a therapist uses; it's the quality that therapist has. Mm-hmm. Empathy, Absolutely. empathy being the most important quality Absolutely. that determines the the outcomes more than the technique they use. Yeah. Hmm. So, I want to ask you about, um, if I may, the Netflix sensation Thirteen Reasons yeah. Why. Funny, I was thinking about that this morning. Hmm. What do you think about that? I was thinking about it because the guy that plays the dad, that's the pharmacist. When I saw um, 
Hamilton on Broadway, mm-hmm. he played George III. Mm. <laughs> and he was fantastic. <laughs> and he, was, and he was fantastic. Could not have been a more different role than the yeah, right? of, of 13 right? Reasons Why. Did you um, watch the series? I did watch it. I, I, It was not as troubling to me as it was for many people. I, I, I think everything – see, to me, media that's provocative is an opportunity. Uh, where it becomes a problem is if parents don't consume it with their kids. Mm-hmm. So I would urge you to, you know, do it with your kids, uh, you know, watch it, ask questions, see if they have questions. I watched it with one of my children. Yeah. Um, wasn't sure how age appropriate it was, but she was, there was a lot of talk in the school. Everybody in high school is watching and everyone in middle school is watching it. And some children in elementary school are watching it. And she's a pretty mature child. So I was like, we're going to do this together. And there were certain parts that I needed to censor and I didn't allow her to yeah. watch because there was some. Apparently the, which I didn't even remember seeing was the death scene there. That that was troublesome for a lot of kids. Um and also, even though it wasn't explicit, you know, the, the rape scenes. scene yeah. and some of the sex yeah. scenes. Yeah. and But what I thought, and I'm, pretty open-minded with them. I just thought it was a great opportunity for dialogue. That's and I I'm thought saying. it was an incredible lesson That's of compassion. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, of compassion. Uh, Be aware of how we treat people and yes. how some people can and cannot deal with the struggles in life. I thought we had amazing conversations Good weekly. For Good for you. I, say, I, I talked to George III after the play and he came to me and goes, I, I, I need your support. I need your, they're coming after me for this. And we didn't intend it. We wanted to create dialogue talk about bullying and all this kind of stuff. dying to ask said, your perspective on this. Me back. But but uh, but um Lisa Stroman, who I hope you'll talk to, feels very differently. She feels very differently. She I feels- thought it was super important, and I run modernmon.com. This is an extremely controversial issue. And I just thought, you know what? Dialogue. Well, get My the other kids side. asked you, a lot you of and questions. I, you and I are exactly on the in alignment on this. Get Dr. Stroman in here and see what her yeah. thing is. I think her thing is she's seeing, you know, a what's lot her of- perspective? She's seen. She's very much against. She feels she's seen a lot of consequences, and to it be, sensationalized. Yeah, it it did. It but depends on what population you're looking yeah. at. I think if you you know you here's your kid is comes from got lots of resources and mm-hmm. a supportive mom and a mom that's going to sit there and go over this. Not every kid has that, and they're just getting exposed to it. How do we regulate that, or how mm-hmm. do we help diminish the effects of that? I think that's more where her head's at, but I'll let her speak for herself. But she, and, and we also, should have had arguments about this. Yeah, I, I'd love to interview her. Yeah. We're, we're going to follow up, and, yeah. and that's a great suggestion. And also the, the 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 concern that a lot of people had fear that, you know, it planted a seed uh, that suicide is an option. Well, because there is a, always a like certain what, amount of contagion with suicide. I, there is. And making it look cool and, you know, it, it reinforcing the magical thinking that teens have, which is after I die, I'm going to have all these effects on all these people. And that's all magical. That's mm-hmm. not real. You're dead. And they don't quite have that finality in there. They, their brain can't quite process that. And so there's little there's contagion and romance mm-hmm. around suicide of that mm-hmm. age group. And that, mm-hmm. that she's concerned about that too. I, I, thought that's super, I thought it was super important. I agree. I listen, you and I are in agreement Provocative, about it. Provocative, super, super important. I, I, I think for media to shrink away from stuff because of those kinds of concerns, I, I'm cons- I'm worried about that. I think media's got to get be be there and doing that and let the parents do the mm-hmm. parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either either tell your kids not to watch it or watch it with them. Fine. Mm. Good. I'm going to bounce around again because yeah. I want to be respectful sure. of your time. I have so many things I want to ask you. Sure. Um, I want to talk a little bit about therapy because um, we're therapy happy in this city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How does somebody um, find the right fit, the right kind of therapist? Like a lot of people are going to therapy so hard. over and over and over again, not getting anywhere. And then they'll I find know. one there like, oh, my God, I really gelled with this. Or some people just get fearful and it's really good, but they push it away and yep. think that's the wrong person because yep. they can't. Deal with it. Couples do do that. Yeah. It gets too touchy, too painful. People mm-hmm. don't want to sit in their shit and work mm-hmm. through it. 
Um, kids are going to therapy. So, like, what's your take on my, my take is every time anyone in my family has used mental health services, there's been a marked benefit. It has paid dividends well beyond the cost every time. And every one of us has had a therapist or something at some time or another. And it's mm -hmm. paid off in – it really paid off to my family. So I'm an enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And I've personally been the beneficiary of some really good, you know, therapy therapeutic effects. Um, so I'm an enthusiast, number one. Number two, generally – when you want to leave is when you need to stay. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. good. That's good. Okay, that thank is. you. But, hear but, that? <laughs> but say that again. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, generally speaking, when when you're thinking that par that that therapist is an asshole, I need to leave. That's when you need to stay. Oh, that's so good. Generally speaking, but sometimes the therapist is an asshole. Yeah. So, so how do you know that well, you've got both. somebody of quality or who has the the treatment skills that you need? And that's really hard. Yes, that's, that's really my hard. question. I know, I and know. because we are not on the medical side, we don't. I know. That, that's that. I know it's a loaded question, and, but and, and by the way, not only that, but it's 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 a field that's that's a landmine right now in terms of the the way it's being approached, and that everything has to be evidence based, and everything's outcome and symptom measured, and sometimes we're not really even looking for that. We're, in this town, particularly, we're looking for sort of enhancing our life as much as reducing symptomatology. And if you're looking to, you know, have a better life, which is a very complex topic in and of itself, uh, that's a whole, not, you know, cognitive behavioral therapies, maybe not just the best thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of what's called EFT, emotionally focused therapy. If you want, I can, I can let you give you some people to interview for that, that it's, yeah, EFT. It's yeah. Called. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of deeper, longer, more intuitive stuff. And but mm. it's not if, for you to, if you go to a therapist and you feel like she gets me or he gets me or whatever, is that a bad signal? No, no, not necessarily. No. Um, but it, here's a bad signal. Therapist is talking. This, this is what drives me crazy. The therapist doesn't say anything. Oh, that's a good therapist. It is because sometimes stay. I feel like I'm in there. I'm I need some tools, no, some feedback. No, And they just no. sit there and let me talk the whole time. You need the presence of another human being deeply Just attuning. to vent. Just, just there's deep, a benefit. In just being in that frame. God. That's it. It's so, so confusing. Good. You have a good therapist. Congratulations. I don't know. I've had good ones There's and no bad ones. There's no talking that you can't. We, first of all, we as humans remain under the best circumstances. We retain only 20% of what we're told. Mm -hmm. And then to try to take some cognitive thing and apply it like it's a recipe, BS. Mm. It rarely works. You need, you need, what you need to do is be more, develop a richer emotional landscape that you're more deeply connected mm -hmm. to so you can offer that to somebody else. That's the in my world. That's where the real answers are. Now, sometimes people have real symptomatology and they need specific sure. interventions. And I and I get it. I get it. There's real mental health issues out there that need very specific interventions. But for an yeah. average person like you, that you know, just looking for better. See, I like the exchange. Better. I want a little. <laughs> I want to talk. You, I'll pay you, but I want to. I want you to talk yeah, to you me talk too. Here, use this as that. Bring, bring, you, exactly. This is that. This is that environment. This isn't therapy. That's yeah. Funny. Don't the therapist. That, that's the thing about the therapist doesn't say anything. Good. That's the right person. I love that. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Um, really basic, um, but this was another question that came in. How do you know if your child is, is, yeah. has a drug problem? Um, if you're aware that they're using, that's way off the chart because they hide it extremely carefully. Wait, say that again. If you're, uh, I'll explain it. The kids hide their drug use extremely carefully. If they are getting so sloppy that you're finding evidence, it's way worse than you know. 
That's always been the case. Whenever they find something in the backpack, on the kid, oh. out in the bed, that's no longer a parenting issue. That's a professional issue. Get help. How about before that? Are there signs? Are there things that we can look for? Well, if you're for? having signs, then it's even more profound, right? If you're now having medical or physical features. The problem, the problem with uh, adolescence is essentially all mental health presents kind of the same way, which is change in dress, change in sleep pattern, change in appetite, change in friends, change in number one symptom, drop in grades. That is the number one sign of the other mental health issue, drop in grades. Immediately get that kid evaluated. Um, you know, so in all the mental health issues sort of present the way. Obviously, if there's a thought disturbance, they're delusional, they're psychotic. That, okay, now we're in a different category, mm-hmm. and that's sort of an emergency. That could be drugs or schizophrenia, that kind of thing, bipolar disorder. But the sort of more routine, commonplace mental health issues, it all kind of looks the same. It really does. And you just got to, you know, get them evaluated. You ask for help. There's nothing wrong with that. Ask for help from the school. Your school is your friend. These are professionals that have been Mm -hmm. seeing millions of kids and they know what they're doing. They are not your adversary. They they help you. Mm -hmm. And then there's armies of mental health professionals out there. Just what's what's the problem with getting getting an evaluation? Yeah. The the scariest thing a a parent ever says is not my kid. Denial. It's the scariest thing a parent ever says. Of course it's your kids, all of our kids. We like we like going into room. Lisa will tell you this. So we go into rooms. How many, how many, you know, kids in this room know somebody that's suicidal? Three quarters of the room put their hand up, right? How many kids, you know, know somebody that's doing drugs? Hundred percent or eighty-nine percent of the room put their hand up. I mean, that's somebody's kid that's that they know yeah. that's doing this yeah. stuff. So I think it's so normal in the it, teenage years and the stress of you know, high school and kids sort of separating and and not wanting to communicate with their parents and just sort of floating around like they don't have meals together. They don't. No, fifteen-year-old is a hundred percent honest with their parents. It's not a feature of the age, uh, of the stage of development. It's in it's in their developmental. I mean, my fifteen-year-old daughter is not like, no, get it. <laughs> she may be very honest. No. I'm nearly mostly always honest, but she's not a hundred percent. Just that, and she's not supposed to be. And she they're supposed be. to be moody and disconnect oh, and ignore your, you and your son not want to dine with you and hang out with you're you now. You're in love with the center into a lumpy, <laughs> stinky pile of flesh who <laughs> doesn't get off the couch and plays video games all day. Oh, my oh, gosh. Awesome. Such yeah. good stuff, Dr. Dre. Thank you for answering all those questions sure. and just sharing your perspective and opinion. And it's just all fascinating. It's important. Foreign. It's all, nah, it's all, it's easy. It's important. We... We're all going to make it. It's all going to be good. I don't I don't want to freak anybody out and make a lot of panic here. It's just because that's not good either. But you're, just, but, but we're going to be fine. You, you, you know, you have the knowledge of the dialogue of being able to even control a conversation. Control is not the right word. By just saying, how do you turning it back around? How do you feel? What do you want to talk about? Yeah. What do you need you to know? You have to be the parent, and it's it's rather than thinking you're supposed to walk you, in there with your writer and know this is exactly what I'm going to say to no, my child. No, like no, no. that doesn't work. No, no, no. Yeah, agenda. Your agenda is not a your your needs, your agenda, not important. The kids' needs, the kids' agenda, that, that's what's important. And our job is to be present, to love them. Not letting we don't say enough either. Just tell them we love them. Show them we love them. Be present. Spend time. If they want to spend time. I know. I know. But, <laughs> and you keep know, wanting to spend time even when they don't want to spend time. But when they don't, driving from place to place, you know, the car where you're yeah. both looking forward is a good non-threatening place. To, you yeah. Know, the males. It's I always have a no-phone rule in the car because I'm good. like, I'm not going to be your driver. Good. This is even though you might not want to connect, might not want to talk because I just picked you up from school and you're really stressed out like I am at the end of a long day. I don't want to talk. Now I get you. But there's no phones. There's no tech in the car. 
Good. So just in case you want to talk about yeah. something, I'm well, not going anywhere. I'm stuck here. Uh, another here. little another little <laughs> nugget is uh, female. The adolescent females around 10 p.m. Uh, become a little more loquacious. The, the, the hormonal cycling and such. The, at 10 p.m. About, about nine, ten at night. How do we not know that? How have you, I you, never you, heard you, this? If you go in and sit down in the bed and just go, "How's your day? What's going on?" That's when you're going to get some more spontaneous stuff. It's a good time of day. Generally, is that for women? Necessary. Is that for women? <laughs> women yeah, as little well? bit, little bit. Because I'm but, much better. I'm a much better in the evening. I'm like, don't talk to me before I have my coffee in the morning. Don't ask yeah. me anything. Yeah, yeah. 10 and, p.m. Yeah, it's cortisol. But women, adolescent girls, a little more so even. So I wish there nine, was a, nine, ten. I wish yeah. there was some books that we could read that would just, you know, it's like there's no man. There's no. I know all the all the information is out there, but like even like these quick little. Why isn't there like a guidebook to like raising teenagers? No Here's twenty book. things that might help. It, there's you. gonna be this. What it's the richness of the human experience, right? Ugh. It's what it's it's the rich landscape that makes us all so different and interesting, and nobody's yeah. perfect, and no. it's all good. It's all good. So it's just and a vast we, learning experience. We have lost. Yes, we have <laughs> lost track of even what the word happiness means in this country. I know. And I would urge people to think about the word eudaimonia, which was Aristotle's term, that essentially just meant flourishing. We need to all learn how to flourish, which does not mean euphoria all the time and does not mean feeling high and happy and good all the time. It means leading a certain kind of life. I know. And usually that includes service to others. Uh, and, you know, it, having a nourishing existence rather than yeah. a, a, a Yahoo euphoric experience. My totally. crack addicts and my heroin addicts are euphoric a couple times a day. They are not leading a happy life. It's good. So there. It's a good takeaway. I'll take that. Stop grinding for success, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get happy. <laughs> Thank well, you so much. No, no, but I, but I mean, flourish. That can you be know. Part. Listen, I'm workaholic. You started with that. That's and that's you know part of my flourishing. It's it's necessary for some mm-hmm. reason. And uh, you know everyone's different. Stages and no one's and phases. Perfect. No one's perfect. No. I'm certainly not. God, I am not. God, I am please, not. Please, please <laughs> take that away from me. Thank and, you. And I'm not the don't do drugs guy. I'm not the I'm going to tell you how to live guy, and I'm not perfect, but I have had a lot of experience. All that workaholism, mm-hmm. I had about three medical careers wrapped into one, so I've seen a lot. And so I like to share that. That's mm. it. And getting clear on the boundaries. Mm. Well, that was my therapy. That, <laughs> that is good. My, that but even me, as a parent, even therapy. with the kids, I mean, that's like my siren song right now. It's like, don't stray from that because they need that structure. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're struggling, the no if fans are like, this, I'm, I am— <laughs> Try, 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 I hope I'm not too late in the game. No, you're fine. <laughs> try try uh, using facial expression as a way of creating a, of a showing an appreciation of what the, where the kids at and creating a little boundary. It's a little technique I use. Like mm, you're sad, I see you're angry. Just show, just reflect it back, and and identify it. Give it a name, and then just sit there and see what happens. I will. Okay. Thank you. you got Thank it. you for your time. Thanks, so good. Appreciate you. Mm-hmm. 